treat to have Jennifer with us today. I don't know if you all are aware, I mean, you're all aware of that she travels and sings and, and does a lot of things, but I don't know if you know, she's actually a member of our church. You knew that, right? That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Member of our church, but really here, you're more likely to find her down in the children's wing because that's where the little people are and that's where she is so often, but so thrilled she was able to join us and sing for us today. What a blessing. Now, Bernie has a song he's going to sing. It's, uh, <laughs> we're really looking for Go ahead and roll that. Yeah. Right. No, no, no. It was you, something else. You want people to stay in church, <laughs> yeah, that's man. Right. You All want right. them to give their money and be blessed. Okay. That would not be good. <laughs> that's right. All right. Actually, Bernie's here. We want to talk about Pack the Forest. It's coming up at the beginning of December. And uh, we actually have kind of done an interesting thing here. The old cliche was, you can get a good group of Adventists to give to a project, but you'll never get them to volunteer. Well, we kind of busted that, because we're actually doing really well getting people to volunteer, but uh, we need a little help on the giving side so far. So I want to commend the volunteerism. How many people have Absolutely. we had involved in this? We are, we're really getting close to 300 volunteers. Amen. And uh, so we'll, registration is still open. You can go to... Um, the Forest Lake Church website and, and click there to register to be a volunteer. We love it. It's such an awesome scene to see our Forest Lake Church members, friends, and we have guests that come in for this that are invited by members, and everybody's just sort of there serving together and seeing the, the good time everyone's having together. It's just a cool sight. But we, we have, um, yeah, we're close to 300. I'd like to get around 300 to 325 volunteers. That makes the event go really, really well. But over the last three events, we've done this, is our, this will be our fourth hunger project, working with feeding children everywhere. But over the last three, we've had 825, over 825 volunteers. Amen. That's amazing. Amen. And um, I actually think it's closer to 1,000. These numbers are from feeding children everywhere. And we've, th- this is how many meals we've packed, how many meals you've packed. 157,584 meals. Amen. And uh, that's, those meals go to serve people right here in our community, go to help feed hungry children in particular. So, but we do need some money. Uh, we like to raise about $15,000 every year for this, this event. That, uh, that allows us to buy 60,000 meals. So $15,000 uh, means 60,000 meals, and we'll pack those. So um, we're about a third of the way there right now. Uh, last week, I was very discouraged. I was, I was thinking about, you know, I was thinking about going to Pastor Jeff's office and saying, dude, we can't do it. We just, we're not going to get there. <laughs> so let's, let's jump ship now and just put it off, make up an excuse. But last, last week, after I came up and begged, um, people responded in a big way. So I'm, I'm praying, I'm trusting and believing that you're going to respond in a big way. If everybody uh, can throw in some, some help there, I think we'll get there. And it's a great partnership we have with Feeding Children Everywhere. It touches our community in a very significant way, and I just love to see us uh, do it once again. So Excellent. So this is a good way for us to be involved. I heard a story about somebody from First Service who was inspired and, and came and brought and put $91 in somebody's hand and said, take this to the, to the Pack the Forest. Yes, so, yes. So you can be like that too. The table's out there, right? Yeah, my daughter's out there uh, manning the table. You can donate directly at the table. You can go online, forcelakechurch.org, and use the uh, online giving link and direct it to uh, directly to Pack the Forest. So, All right. Thanks. Excellent. Thank you, Bernie. This is a great event, and I'm glad we're involved. It's a good way for us to work with some worthy organizations in our community and also make a difference right here in our community. So, All right. Let's pray. 
Father in heaven, I thank you for the blessing we have already experienced this day. Now, Lord, we turn our minds to your word. Speak to us. This, this really is the heart of the whole book of Daniel. Help us to understand today. In Jesus' name, amen. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. The end is certain. It's been our title for this series this fall, and and we've only got this Sabbath and two more to go before we're done with this series. Today is a topic that's pretty heavy again. I really need you to stay with me today because you, you want to understand this. You don't just need to understand this. You want to understand this because what we're talking about today is the key to understanding all of the prophecy. The End is Certain is the title of our series, and I hope by now you've come to know that it is true. The end is certain. We've been in the book of Daniel all these weeks, and in many ways, everything has been building up to this day, to the chapter we'll consider today, Daniel chapter 9. We've seen how in Daniel chapter 2, How the image that represented the progression of the kingdoms of the Mediterranean world from Daniel's day all the way down until the time when the stone cut without hands would come and crush the image and then grow to fill the whole earth. In chapter 7, we saw those kingdoms again, but then we gained some detailed understanding of another power that would arise, this time a power with, with a strongly spiritual component a power that would be condemned by a heavenly court and that would be overruled by one like a son of man who would come to rule. And then in chapter 8, we saw some of these powers again, but this time we were looking at the whole story from more of a spiritual perspective and were given a span of time at which, the end of which, judgment would fall upon those things that were set against God's people. But you may also recall from chapter 8, by the time Daniel got to the end of his vision in chapter 8, he wasn't feeling so well. Daniel chapter 8 verse 27, then I, Daniel, was exhausted and sick for days. Then I got up again and carried on the king's business, but I was astounded at the vision and there was none to explain it. Daniel did not understand the vision. And there's a good reason why he didn't understand and why if we were to also stop our reading at the end of chapter 8, we wouldn't understand either because the key to understanding the vision of chapter 8 is found in chapter 9. And this key isn't just some technical point that enables us to calculate the 2300 days from from chapter 8. That is there, but the true key of chapter 9 is something more, or maybe better, someone more. Have you ever been through an extended period of time 
where you were pretty certain God was talking to you, but you just didn't understand how what he was saying could possibly actually work out? Or you just didn't understand it at all? Welcome to Daniel's world. You see, we tend to think that, oh, it would be so awesome to be a prophet because, I mean, prophets are hearing from God and, of course, God explains everything in detail, right? Well, apparently not. For when the vision of Daniel 8 ended, Daniel was confused. And God doesn't seem to have been in any kind of a significant hurry to help Daniel get over his confusion. So there's a couple of huge points here. Just because you don't understand right now doesn't automatically mean God hasn't spoken. And second, just because you are a prophet doesn't mean you automatically understand everything. Chapter 8 takes place while Belshazzar is still king of the failing Babylonian Empire, but it will be some seven years before God speaks to Daniel again about this thing he hasn't understood. Daniel 9, verse 1, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Okay, there's some interesting things here. Babylon has fallen, and now the Medes and the Persians rule. But we knew that was coming. We saw that in the other prophecies. But yet for Daniel, this has been a very significant event. And with the fall of Babylon, Daniel has now gone back to the writings of Jeremiah. Did you you ever think about this? That prophets go and read other prophets in order to understand? Daniel has gone back to the writings of Jeremiah and to the length of time that God had told Jeremiah this captivity was going to last. You see, God doesn't tell all the prophets the same stuff. He tells this to this one, he tells that to that one, he tells another thing to another time, to another one, and sometimes the prophets themselves have to sit down and study what the other prophet wrote in order to understand their own days. If this is what the prophets have to do, shouldn't we also sit down and study to know our days? This also reminds us of something we talked about at the beginning that sometimes we lose track of. Jeremiah, Daniel, and Ezekiel were prophets at the same time. They were alive and prophesying, but each one had their own place and their own assignment, and it was different from each other. So at the end of Babylon, that nation that God had sent to purge the land of Judah of its wickedness and to give the land its rest, that nation Babylon has now fallen. And with the fall of Babylon, Daniel's mind has returned to the promise that Judah would be returned to the land. And this leads him to study the words of Jeremiah. Ironically, words of Jeremiah that contain a passage that most in this church probably know very well, but you probably had no idea it was in this context or that this passage meant so much to Daniel. Jeremiah 29, verse 1, 
Now these are the words of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exile, the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So if we go all the way back, Jeremiah is still in Jerusalem, and some of the people have already been taken to Babylon. Jeremiah writes a letter, sends it off to the people in Babylon to tell them what's coming. Verse 4, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent. Wait a minute, what? To all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Do you remember how we talked about this before? If you had been one of the people who was taken from Jerusalem and carted off to Babylon, you'd have been sure that God wasn't with you, that he didn't care about you anymore, and that he didn't love you. Yet, as we looked at it, what we realized was what God did was he rounded up everybody that was the very best and the most faithful and took them out of the wickedness of the land and kept them safe in Babylon so that he could start over with them when the time was over. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will have welfare. Why did he write this? Well, Jeremiah wrote this because there were prophets, false prophets, who were claiming Babylon is about to fall. You all will come back immediately. Don't settle down there. The exile isn't going to last very long. But that just wasn't true. The people who had gone into exile would not be coming back until the fullness of time. How long would it be? Jeremiah 29 verse 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. And then after this comes that text you probably know very well, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Did you know Daniel loved this text as much as you did? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. And then these words, which then go on to explain what we're going to see in a second, what Daniel, in fact, does in chapter 9, verse 12. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. Okay, so Daniel reads this, and you know what Daniel does? Daniel does exactly what Jeremiah says to do. Look at this, Daniel 9, verse 3. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. That's exactly what Jeremiah said to do. Seek the Lord and he will be found. 
I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. Daniel is confessing the sins of the people. And he's calling upon the God of the covenant to be faithful and merciful. Now, I would very much love to read you the rest of this prayer that Daniel prays. It goes from verse 7 to verse 19 because it's a powerful prayer. But we just don't have time to do it today. Suffice it to say, when he gets done with his prayer, this is what he has said. He said, don't save us because we deserve it. We don't. Save us by your grace. And save us for your name's sake. So why was this exile in Babylon supposed to last 70 years? Well, it wasn't arbitrary. But instead, that 70-year time frame is actually rich with symbolic meaning. You see, when the people first came into the land, God set up that as an act of worship and trust in the land, the people were to spend six years working their fields and harvesting and planting and everything, but the seventh year was to be a sabbatical year. They were to not plant the fields and just live off of the increase God had given them for six years. Think about that. God said, I'll give you every seventh year off. That sounds good, right? Yeah, you're giving every seventh day off. How well are you doing with that? We have a hard time taking God at his word to rest. And the people didn't. They said, if I can do this much in six, imagine what I can do in seven. And they just kept right on going. And for 490 years, they never gave the land a day off. And so God gave the land the years of rest it had missed. Look at this, 2 Chronicles 36. Verse 20, those who had escaped from the sword, Nebuchadnezzar carried away to Babylon, and they were servants to him and to his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days of its desolation, it kept Sabbath until 70 years were complete. The fullness of this time had come. It was the equivalent of 10 sabbatical cycles or 70 years. And now that the land had had its rest, God was sending the people back. One of the lessons we can take from this is that God treats mandates to rest very seriously. I think that's a word we would do well to heed. If God has told us to rest, we need to do it. But God was about to show Daniel something more. Another period of time, a period of time that would lead to the most important event to take place on earth since creation. 
And this period of time would also be based on powerful symbolism. Daniel 9 verse 20. Now while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God on behalf of the holy mountain of my God, while I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. This is very important language because it connects us with the previous vision and we understand that what we're getting here is enlightenment on the vision that happened in chapter 8. Verse 22, he gave me instruction and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. Do you remember how chapter 8 ends? Daniel says, I didn't understand. So now the angel has come to give him the key to understanding. Verse 23. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued, and I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. So give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. First of all, can you imagine anything better than being told by an angel that you are highly esteemed where he comes from? Can you imagine that? Unbelievable. Second, do you notice how often the word understand keeps coming up in what we're reading? It's kind of like in the previous vision in chapter 8, the word kept coming up that the vision pertains to a distant time. The vision pertains to the future. This time, it's all about understanding. All of this emphasis is signaling that the key to understanding will be found in this chapter and in what this chapter speaks of. So what is it? What is the key? Verse 24. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. All right, there's a, there's a couple issues here we need to understand. First of all, he says, 70 weeks have been decreed. The word there that's translated decreed, it's actually a bigger word than we have a good English word for. Yes, decreed works, but determined works. So does the idea of cut off. Basically, God's saying, I have taken a section of time and set it, decreed it to be for your people to finish these things. And it's very important for us to understand from this language what the angel is telling him is these 70 weeks or 490 days are taken off the 2300 days that we described in the previous vision. So this is the connection between the two. It's very important to see here for it is from this passage that we get an evidential proof for the concept of applying to the prophecies of the book of Daniel a literal year in place of a prophetic day. We'll say more about that in a moment. But let's make sure we understand what's being said. What the angel is saying in, in this great story that I described to you previously in the other vision, a portion of that time period is cut off, is determined, is decreed for your people, Daniel. 
And here is what will happen by the time those 70 weeks are over. Here's the list. Your people will finish the transgression. They will make an end of sin. They will make atonement for iniquity. They will bring in everlasting righteousness. They will seal up the vision and prophecy. And they will anoint the most holy place. It's all sanctuary and covenant language, languages of priests and temples and services and the means by which people are forgiven of their sins. And in this passage, we see revealed the great purpose to which God initially established the kingdom of Israel, even though by Daniel's day, it wasn't looking very good. Yet even so, I'm pretty sure Daniel in his day would have been thinking, God expects us to do these things. But the fulfillment of this prophecy, and indeed the fulfillment of the purpose of Israel, would not come through the nation of Israel, but rather through one who would come from the tribe of Judah to fulfill all righteousness and make atonement for all. You see, it all goes back to the original covenant that God made with Abraham. Genesis 22, verse 18. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. This is what God told Abraham. And Israel had always thought that meant the nation of Israel, but it didn't. From the beginning, it actually only meant one thing, Jesus. I'll let Paul explain it to you. Galatians 3, verse 16. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed. That is Christ. The promise from the beginning, the telling of the promised restoration, it was all pointing to Jesus all the way back in Genesis, not the nation of Israel. Why? Well, it's actually pretty simple. Why? Because before Jesus, there was no one who could finish the transgression. Before Jesus, there was no one who made an end to sin. Before Jesus, there was no one who could make atonement for iniquity. Before Jesus, there was no one to bring in everlasting righteousness or to seal up the vision and the prophecy or to anoint God's most holy place. Jesus had to do this alone. That's why the prophet Isaiah prophesied about him. Isaiah 63, verse 1. Who is this who comes from Edom with garments of glowing colors from Basra? This one who is majestic in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. It is I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like the one who treads the winepress? I have trodden the wine trough alone. He had to do it alone. And from the peoples, there was no man with me. I also trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. And their lifeblood is sprinkled on my garments. And I stained all my raiment. For the day of vengeance was in my heart. That's what Daniel 8 is about. The vengeance that is in God's heart against those who were set against God's people. And my year of redemption has come. We'll talk about that idea in a second. 
Now catch this. I looked, and there was no one to help. And I was astonished, and there was no one to uphold. Do you remember Jesus' last night in the Garden of Gethsemane? Do you remember what he said to us? Because we're people like the other disciples. He said, watch and pray with me. But what did the people do? What did we do? We failed Jesus. There was no one to help. And I was astonished and there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought salvation. How did Jesus do it? He did it on his own. Because we couldn't help. And my wrath upheld me. Jesus fulfilled the prophecy alone because Jesus alone could fulfill the prophecy. No one else could. There were none other righteous but he. And without Jesus, you know what our world would have continued to be? Nothing but a forever tossing sea filled with raging beasts and persecuting horns. It's only through the deliverance of Jesus that we ever broke out of that. Which brings us to the most important moment. The most important point in this whole series. What Daniel is telling us is this. The key to all of history and to the future is Jesus. And all vengeance and all redemption resides in him. And this is what is so amazing about this prophecy, this 70 weeks. So let's break this down. 70 weeks would be equal to 490 days. So here's the question. If we were going to try to go literal with this and say this prophecy is specifically speaking of a 490-day period... Did Jesus accomplish anything in a 490-day period? Well, no, he didn't really, because that's only a little over a year, and his ministry went three and a half years. And you can't find a 490-day literal period in Jesus' life. However, if you substitute years for that, some amazing things take place. There's no way to fit the time frame to days, but watch what happens when 490 days is taken to be 490 years. Verse 25, so you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Okay, so the 70 weeks here is being broken down into parts. We have a seven-week section, a 62-week section, and then a one-week section. And at the end of the 62, the 7 and the 62, the prophecy says Messiah the Prince will appear. So, all right, let's go to history. In the year 457 B.C., King Artaxerxes I decreed that Jerusalem and its temple was to be rebuilt and that Jerusalem was to once again serve as the political center for the region. And roughly 49 years after that decree, around the year 408, though no exact date is available here, Jerusalem stood with full walls, a temple built, full of citizens, though if you read the book of Nehemiah, you will see that it was built and put together in times of distress. 
So that 49 years matches up with that first seven weeks very well. Then the prophecy says 62 weeks would pass until Messiah the Prince. So to be consistent with how we dealt with the first seven, with 49 years, let's take a look at the second. We have 62 times seven equals 432 years. If you take the year 408 and add 432 years to it, you come up with around A.D. 27. And anybody want to guess what happened that year? Mark chapter 1, verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. And then shortly after this, Jesus will find himself in a synagogue in Nazareth and he'll take up the scroll of Isaiah and he'll read these words. Luke chapter 4 verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. These words are powerful, even if you don't come from a Jewish culture. But if you do, they're even more powerful, especially the words in verse 19, that Jesus said he had come to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. What this means is Jesus had just declared the Jubilee. Now, I don't have time to go into great detail about the Jubilee, but let me tell you what it was. Every seventh year, they were supposed to leave the land fallow. And then every seven sets of seven years, so every 49 years, was to be the Jubilee. And when the Jubilee came, what it meant was that all debts were canceled, all slaves were set free, and everyone got to return to their ancestral homeland that they received when Israel first came into the land. You want to talk about a plan for breaking the cycles of poverty God had one you could mess up in your generation but within 50 years your kids would get to start over it was called the Jubilee and it was as close to the day of salvation and redemption as the earth has ever known And it is here that we realize Daniel 9, in fact, speaks of two great fullnesses of time. The first is the 70 years until the end of captivity. Seven, ten times seven sabbatical cycles. Seventy years to make up for what was missing. But now, this next part is a 490-year process, which is ten jubilee cycles. The first is ten sabbatical cycles. The second is ten jubilee cycles. The first was about the return of Judah to the land. The second was about the coming deliverer. His reality would be expanded, expounded in the last two verses, as well as simultaneously a description of the sad future of Jerusalem. 
Verse 26, then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. That's about Jesus. And then about the the destruction. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end will come with the flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. Now back to Jesus. And he will make a firm covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. Now back to the destroyer. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So here's the meaning. Here's what we need today. After the span of 69 weeks of years, Messiah will be cut off from the people over the course of that last seven years. And there will be another power that will arise against Jerusalem because of the unfaithfulness of the people. And this raging beast power will destroy Jerusalem. You remember Jesus himself said, not two stones will be left upon another. But as terrible as that will be, as terrible as the failure of Israel was in its destruction, yet Israel did not fail because Israel was victorious in the Messiah. You see, he, Jesus, will confirm the covenant by being the first human to fulfill the human side of the covenant. God made a covenant with humans, and we failed every time. So God himself became human to fulfill the covenant with himself for us. Three and a half years into his ministry, it says he will put an end to the sacrifice and grain offering. You remember how the Bible says that when Jesus died, the temple in the sanctuary was torn from top to bottom? You know what that meant? It meant that the time of the old covenant is over. And that by becoming the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, Jesus had put an end to the earthly sacrifices which is a reality we experience every time we have a communion service. Remember, we take the cup, which is the blood of the new covenant. So we need to wrap up today. Let's go back to where we started, Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. The fullness of time had come. The fullness of what time? The fullness of the time of the prophecy of Daniel. And why did Jesus come? Jesus came to redeem us and to set us free. And when did it happen? Well, it had happened exactly when God said it would happen. So what can we learn? We can learn that the end is certain because the prophecies of God are certain and Jesus the Messiah is the proof that God keeps his word. So you see, Jesus is the key to understanding all the prophecies of Daniel. Jesus is the stone cut without hands in Daniel chapter 2 that crushes the image. 
Jesus is the one like a son of man to whom the heavenly court gives the dominion of the earth. Jesus is the bringer of judgment upon the oppressors of God's people in chapter 8. And Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecy and the embodiment of the jubilee in chapter 9. Daniel 9 reveals not only the timing, but also the content of God's plan that through Jesus, God would reconcile the world to himself. So you see, again, it's as I've been telling you all along. It really is all about Jesus. It is only through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus that we have any hope of understanding God's word. And it's only in Jesus that we are saved. Jesus is the hero of the book of Daniel. And he is right now doing the last work he will do before he comes again. But for more on that, you're going to have to come back next Sabbath. But until then, rejoice in Jesus, our Redeemer, our Savior, our Conqueror, and our King. He is the key to all our understanding. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we have seen today how you have indeed put Jesus above all things and how he by his faithfulness has won for us our place before your throne. Lord Jesus, we are your people. May we always understand everything through the light of your life and through the guiding of the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.